Hello, and welcome back to Megan's Old Office, brought to you by Dundee Presbyterian Church in Omaha, Nebraska. Thanks for joining us for Season 2 in our Perspective Series. On today's episode, Reverend J.D. Gorlett will be interviewing Bob Neve. Bob is the Executive Director and President of the Clearview Center in Omaha. He is also one of the addiction counselors there. Bob will be sharing his personal transformation story. We hope that you guys enjoy today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Megan's Old Office. This is our, our second set of podcasts, and this one we're, we're calling Perspectives. Every week we're going to be coming at you with interviews, uh, conversations with special individuals from our community who know a thing or two about uh, having a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's really what the perspective is all about, and leading others in relationship with Jesus Christ. Today, I've got my good friend Bob Neve uh, with me today. I'm going to say a few things about uh, Bob and introduction. Hi, G.D. Hello, hello uh, <laughs> to you about who Bob is. But first, Bob, I want to I want to ask you, how many times have you been arrested? <laughs> <laughs> That's how I want to start, man. Uh, five times, to the best of my knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> Those are what you remember, right? No, I'm not a felon. Okay. I've been arrested for I'm felonies and charged, but I was but, innocent right. or hey, there innocent was not enough evidence to convict me. Okay, so now why were you arrested five times? At least five times. Okay, the first one was uh, pot less than an ounce, so it's a $150 possession, fine. Right. And then that again, and then that again. A couple possessions. And, and possession with intent to deliver marijuana, okay. which was more than an ounce. But that time I was actually... Yeah, innocence not the word. So You uh, were not innocent, were I you? Was, the charge was dropped, so I'm not a felon. But we want to establish. Oh, and the then fa- a DUI in Maryland. Of course. Yeah. And we want to establish the fact that you were not innocent on any of these <laughs> no. in any of these cases, right? And we want no. to establish the fact that this is 2019, and yep. these arrests happened when 80s, back in the 80s. Oh, let's see, all of them before 1981. No, the DUI was in 89. It's hard to keep track of such things, yeah. isn't it? But 89, since 89, that's pretty there good. There you go. Out of prison and free from the... And, and good with the law. <laughs> only Our one day in jail. There, only, only one day Only in jail. one night in jail. There you go. Why am yeah. we talking about this? Why in the world would a church <laughs> podcast originating from the great uh, Dundee... Presbyterian Pres- church yeah, cast? Uh, this podcast, what? Megan's Old Office, coming to you from Dundee Presbyterian Church... Why do I open with this question of Bob Neve? It's because he not only has not been arrested for drug charges since 1989, but he has dedicated his life to helping people with addiction. Today, he is the director of the Clearview Center right here in uh, the Dundee neighborhood of Omaha, Nebraska. And so I open with, I give him a a bad time about the fact that he's got a little bit of a past, but he's got an incredible present, and you've got an incredible future because of what's yeah. happened uh, for you uh, with Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, so we start with you being arrested, but we go on with how did, when did Jesus Christ become, how did Jesus Christ change your name? When did Jesus Christ become more than just a word to you? October 27, 1981. And what happened in 1980 in October? Got born again. Yeah. Uh, you want the little yeah, background little of that bit, day? I, I'm going to need the Reader's I'll, Digest I'll the, version. I'll man. do the one-and-a-half-minute story that day. Go. So I'm a, I'm a, let's see, sophomore? Let's see, freshman, junior. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm a junior in the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, getting my uh, bachelor's degree in electrical engineering. 
Um, and um, uh, that was an interesting year, 1981. And I learned a few things about, uh, about uh, salesmanship and that I wasn't very good at what I was selling. So anyways, um, er, er, in, the, in that, uh, that fall, uh, I'll, I'll just go to that day, um, there was this girl named Jill Peterson who I wanted to, let's say, marry. And um, she, <laughs> she said, she, you know, I ran into her on the street and she said, uh, Bob, you've, you've got to come to our church tonight. Uh, I'd, I'd knew, known her for a year or so. She said, you've got to come to our church tonight. There's a guy named Bob Weiner who's going to speak tonight. And I'm like, no, not tonight. Let's go, to, let's go tomorrow. But, but common to every man, this was a girl that you just were crazy about. Yeah. And, of course, common to every man, you were willing to do pretty much whatever she yeah. asked you to do. Yeah. yeah. There you go. And, so, so, uh, and it, it had so happened that my electrical engineering lab that day miraculously ended in about an hour, I figured out the problem that's usually a three-hour lab. Yeah. You finish in an hour. You never finish an electrical engineering lab in an hour. There's just no way. It's impossible. But I did that day. So I was early. So Free I ran to go into to her church. at the right time. I said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to run home. I'm going to get something. I'm going to change clothes. I'll get on my bike, and I'll come back. And she said, no, no, you got to come with me now. And I'm like, no, i got to eat, but I promise I will be there. Okay, so I came back. I met her. Uh, she actually walked in first because she was kind of half dating this guy in there. So I came in two minutes later, and I walked in, and there's this tall, lanky, southern man from Mississippi who said, hello, my name is Bradley White. What's your name? And we started talking. <laughs> and they, they ushered me in, and they sat me in the front row, and Bob Weiner spoke. And it was the first time I'd ever really heard the gospel. I was brought up in Mountview Presbyterian Church from from age zero to 13, 16, whatever. So you had been around it quite a bit. Sure. But never really heard it. Sure. why... I read the Bible occasionally. And it it just bounced right off? Yeah, it wasn't wasn't my time. So here in 1981, you hear this guy talk, Mm -hmm. and in that night, within a few moments, right? Yeah. Uh, He he spoke, I don't know, hour and a half, two hours, um... He had to catch a plane, so I, I ran straight for him, and he was out the back door because he had a plane to catch. So I grabbed the pastor, Walter Walker, and I said, hey, I want, you want to sit down and talk? He said, I've been sitting down for two hours. Can we just stand and talk? So we did. We stood and talked. Within, within an hour, I had repented of my sins. I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, slain in the Spirit, praying in tongues, laying on the floor, and he said, now we get baptized in water. I'm like, okay, what's that about? Well, it's, you know, it's a, it's a symbol and it's an action that shows that we're, uh, you're dedicating your life to Christ and the old is gone and a new life has come. So they had a horse trough in the back. And that, uh, night, that it, night, within an hour, they dunked me in the water and there I am. So imagine somebody, somebody coming up to you that morning and saying, hey, Bobby, we, we're going to dunk you in a horse trough Tonight, you probably would have had a completely different idea of how that would have intellectual gone. interest about <laughs> right. it. Like, well, what is that? I'm a curious guy, but yeah, it's like, no, that wouldn't happen. And how old were you then? Twenty one. You're twenty years 20 old years in 1981, old. and you're baptized. Uh, you hear the message of Christ. It had bounced off of you for years before 20 that. Years. And here it is, uh, finding good soil, as the scripture mm-hmm. would say, in you. Mm-hmm. And is everything changed in that moment? <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, yeah. it, all of everything that you had done before. I mean, you were a drug dealer. You were a drug yeah. addict. You yeah. tell me, tell me about your addiction life uh, up to that point. Were you addicted? Would you say you were addicted to drugs and alcohol at that point? Yes. Uh, <laughs> there's just no question. Started drinking when I was 14, smoking pot when I was 15, taking any drug that I could find when I was 16, 16 to 20. Any drug that came along, you know, give me two of those. Was oh, it over it. after that night? It was almost entirely over. Um, so from 81, uh, 81 to 93. Now, I've been cleaning sober for 26 years at this point. Okay, so February 15, 1993. Was when you became completely clean and sober. Was, was when I finished the last of my pot. Okay. All right, so February 16 on, I did not put any more alcohol, pot, drugs of any kind in my system. Uh, for the rest, a couple of your times life. my doctor prescribed. Things, so we're looking at about a twelve-year. Yeah, it took me twelve years be- to figure it out between becoming a Christian, dedicating mm-hmm. your life to Christ, mm-hmm. and getting yourself free yeah. of drug addiction. Alcohol so in pot, that twelve-year yeah. window, Christ is more than a word to you. Oh yeah, but you're but, still you're still struggling to get free of this. Yeah, or are yeah. you struggling to get the, free? Well. The first couple years, the, the first the first year was that, you know, pink cloud, everything's glorious, I love everybody on the planet, I cut my hair, started voting Republican, you know, that kind of stuff. And yeah, yeah, I, yeah don't that worry, doesn't that necessarily future, mean you're a right? Christian. No, it just doesn't. So you know. No, yeah. it doesn't. And so um, uh, things definitely changed at that point. I mean, uh, from October 27, 1981, I always say that's my morning and birthday, and that's my clean and sober birthday. Um it was a year and a half later. I started to get depressed. Things were not going perfectly. The church had its problems. Mm. And, uh, you know, I had some difficulties at that time, um, not really knowing very well at 22 years old how to deal with my own emotions, how to deal with my own intellect, how to deal with life in general. So I had about a year and a half clean and sober. I had I had three drinks and a half a joint with a friend, and then another year and a half clean. And then some friends from church. Now, this was a church that nobody drank, nobody smoked. Where was um, it at? What uh, church in Lincoln. Was it? Maranatha Christian Ministries. It's not around anymore. Okay. Uh, but, um, yeah, nobody drank, nobody smoked, nobody dated, by the way, in this church. It was forbidden to no date. No wonder it's not there anymore. Yeah, well, that's That's kind of funny. Yeah. Well, that's just face facts. That's There's, just funny. It is. There. Yeah, it is. A little humor for you here from Megan's and old office. I'll say this, though. At the time, um, that was a good thing for me, not to date anybody for a couple of years. That was a that was You were a good still thing. a bit of a, you were a bit of a wreck at that. I mean, oh, I, I get back to the... A bit of a wreck. Well, I mean, it, it's wreck. interesting, Bob, to me that, that you're... You're a dedicated Christian. You've done all the right things in one night, and yet the struggle was still very, still very real yep. for you yep. in that 12-year period. Right. Is it different now for you oh, than yeah. it was? Why is it now you have a mastery of, yeah. if I may use that word, of your addiction? You still mm-hmm. consider yourself okay. an addict, right? Oh, yeah. Isn't that... Recovering isn't addict. Isn't yeah. that accurate to most everyone who suffers from addiction that it's important to admit... Mm-hmm. That you still are an addict in this time, you would say that about yeah. yourself that you were a recovering yeah. addict. Yeah. But somehow you've gotten over the last however many twenty plus years mm-hmm. of being completely clean and sober, mm-hmm. you've gotten a greater mastery, a greater control 
than you mm-hmm. did in that 12-year mm-hmm. period where you were a Christian, but you were still dealing, you were still yeah. using. Right. Um, what was it that, what, what, what was the key and, element there, you think? I don't know that I have control of it because I know this. I know on my own I was not able to stop drinking and smoking pot. Um, it really is God in control of my life. There's no doubt about it. What does that, mean, what does that mean for you? What what that means for me is is if I if I have uh, I, I don't really have a lot of self confidence in my in my recovery. It's really more God confidence. I'm I'm very confident in the sponsors I have had, the program that I follow. By the way, the twelve steps lead you directly to Christ. If you if you haven't figured that out, that's where they go. That's where they've always gone, and and any good AA or NA meeting. Um, that has both the form and the power to help people uh, is is going to be leading you to Christ. There's just no doubt about it. And so, uh, really, in the last in the last 26 years, I've had way more confidence in God, my program, the people I'm around, the things that I know to do that are smart now, as opposed to my own self and my own willpower. Because I got the willpower of a three-year-old, man. I mean, it, you know, uh, if there's cheesecake in front of me, it's going to get eaten. I mean, that's just the way it's got to go. So you're that but, way with lots of other things other than just well, sure. drugs and alcohol. Yeah, yeah. That's just the personality type, although I'm pretty weak around cheesecake, too. But I'm not sure I mean, if the personality type or it's some kind of brain wiring that maybe makes me more susceptible to some things. Everybody's susceptible to something. Uh, but that's the thing that I was probably the most susceptible to. And in, and in 85, when I had some church brothers who decided it was okay to drink a little bit, that's kind of when the, the addiction reignited in 84, 85, 86. Uh, 88 and 89 was the height of my drinking. And that's when I really realized, wow, I need more than just, you know, go praying and getting in the word and and uh going to church those are all great things for somebody who's really an addict they may need more than that and i'm not saying you need more than jesus i'm just saying that i found jesus and the power of god in the aa and na meetings that i went to and with the sponsor that i had so at 20 in in 1988 89 you're what 27 28 years old yep you're living in Seattle at that time, isn't that right? I was working for Boeing, so I, I moved to Seattle in 85, but then I moved to Baltimore and lived there in 88 and 89, back to Seattle again, then I moved to Philadelphia in 93, and okay. that was just after I got clean and sober again. So Boeing had uh, projects in Baltimore and Philadelphia that I went and worked so on. So you're going through a lot of transition, and in that time, you're 27, 28, 29 years old, mm-hmm. high-level job, engineering with Boeing. Electric. Handsome, thin, yeah, full head of hair, yeah, no, almost. He, and if you're listening, uh, believe me, he got rid of all of that beautiful <laughs> hair. You did a great job shaving your head, well, thank you. um, and having it never grow back ever again. Yeah. Uh, but so, Bob, in that time, you're a believer, and yet yeah. you're still using. Yeah, what was you know what was it that that was in the way? What was the what was the thing that was critically broken there, or is even that the right way of putting it? Yeah, I'm not sure I know. You know, I mean, how how do you explain someone who's born again and yet is still drinking using. to the point of of uh, oblivion? Um, I don't know how to explain that. Yeah. You know, I'm uh, I I am sure my mortal soul was in peril, but 
you know, how much or to what extent or I don't know. But I just thank God that it's over and I'm where I'm at now. I'm really um, fascinated by the yeah. fact that, that you, and I think you rightly look at your beginning with Christ is, is happening in 1981. Mm-hmm. Then you went for a long journey of 15 plus years, still mm-hmm. struggling on mm-hmm. and off with addiction. This is the story of lots and lots of people in the world who mm-hmm. are who are believers, mm-hmm. but they struggle with addiction of a number of kinds, whether it's mm-hmm. narcotics, alcohol, pornography, mm-hmm. which I mm-hmm. think is an enormous mm-hmm. problem. Money. And money gambling. problems. Gambling, absolutely. Right. And they're trying to believe. And as you mm-hmm. said, you were praying in that time, you're reading scripture, mm-hmm. and yet you're still going back mm-hmm. to, to that well, if you will, mm-hmm. that is yep. dis- this destructive well in your life. Yeah. I think that there's tons of people who would be listening to this podcast who they themselves know this turf really, really well. Mm-hmm. And I know almost every single person that would be listening here today have somebody in their lives who would be struggling in that in in mm-hmm. in in that way? Mm-hmm. Do you look back? How do you when you look back on that? How do you feel about how God feels about that time? You were you were at, yeah. you were accurately born you yeah. born again with no Christ doubt. in eighty one. Legitimately, that's special. That right. was legitimate. That was sincere. Yeah. And yet you had this block of time of which you know you weren't doing what Christ wanted. Yeah. How do you feel about that? um, It's horrifying. Um, It's frightening. It's, um, you know, I don't like to go back to that time. Yeah. Because it is. It's frightening. It's horrifying. Is that pot- that's that's why I stay in in today when it's it's a completely different thing. So it's a positive thing to be scared. Oh in that, yeah, to be scared in that way. You know, and it, I'll give you a little of my my background too. I have two master's degrees in mental health counseling and clinical counseling. What's interesting is during that time, um, I was actually in a, a certification class, and and we it was on studying extremely successful people. We found that extremely successful people both have two things. They have a way and a towards. They have something they want to get away from and something they want to move towards. Most people naturally have one or the other, but not both. So having something I want to get away from, uh, eternity in hell, pain in, on the planet, as well as something I want to move towards, um, happiness with my wife and my dogs and my church and a good business. Having both of those at the same time makes makes one a successful person. And we usually have to work at one of those. So yeah, having fear, that's a good thing. God that, designed it that way. He designed a heaven and a hell. Right. Probably but, for a reason. But it's only half of the equation, as you're saying. If you have somebody who's Still just part. afraid and just going away from something that they're afraid of... Mm-hmm. That's not such a bad thing, but it's it's nope. better to have something at that point to which to 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 aspire. Possibly at the at the same time, right. you know. Right. I can't wait till the day that I you know am in heaven and hug Jesus and thank Him, and lay on the floor blubbering, crying for ten years. I'm sure. So yeah. Um, We're uh, just to reset us. You're listening to Megan's old office here from Dundee Presbyterian Church in Omaha, Nebraska. My name is J.D. Gorlett. I'm the senior pastor here at Dundee. I'm I'm talking with my uh, good friend Bob Neve of the Clearview Center here in Omaha about his testimony, Uh, and you've just been so impressive. You've blessed us all with talk about your brokenness, mm-hmm. uh, uh, not just from a, a specific yep. time 30 or 40 years ago, yeah. although that was certainly true, but still to this day, yeah. I'm really, I'm, we're really blessed uh, uh, to hear all of these things. 
and it's still a challenge for you. Uh, addiction yeah. is still a challenge for you. In what way yeah. is it? Is it less of a it's, challenge for you now? It's not hard to stay away from cigarettes, alcohol, pot, the other things pills that, and stuff. The things That's that you hard. used before, but it's yeah, not as hard it's now. It's not hard. I, it was hard for three or four years. I remember thinking there was about, I was clean and sober for about five years when I finally said to myself, oh, I actually have a little bit of self-confidence. And I mean like 5% self-confidence because the rest of my confidence was in the sponsors that I had, the meetings I went to, praying and meditating. Um, I mean, I got some good therapy in 1993 that really happened. And, you know, let me tie in from 89 to 93. You know, I I really think 88 and 89 were the desert. I mean, that, that year and a half was... 40 years of desert in the Sinai for me. And the one thing that started to, to bring me out in 89 was um, the fall of 89 was when I went to my first AA meeting because I was dating a girl named Heidi who said I needed to go to an AA meeting. All right, well, just, <laughs> I, I I'm just going to leave that there. Here, There's a little pattern, There's right? There's a little pattern. And so at my first AA meeting, um, I really enjoyed it. I went up to the literature table afterwards. Uh, some guy behind me said, do you have a big book? I said, nope. He threw $5 on the table and handed me a big book and said, start on page 18. Uh, and all good addicts know that's where you start on page 18. You don't start at the beginning. Anyway, and it's the definition of the alcoholic. And I read this these five pages, and I said, well, if that's an alcoholic, I'm certainly an alcoholic. And that was the beginning. That was really the beginning of the end. Now, I essentially quit drinking in February of 1990. I can count the number of drinks I had between February of 90 and February of 93. But there was pot interspersed in there. I was afraid of drinking alcohol because it was really destroying my life and my brain and my uh, making me depressed. Uh, but pot, I wasn't quite as afraid of until I figured out that pot was also what was making me depressed. I mean, it makes me fat, lazy, and stupid. And I'm fat, lazy, and stupid enough already. I just can't do it anymore. It does I that really... to everybody, doesn't it? Um, I would say it does that to about a third of the population. Another third of the population makes them anxious and paranoid and mm, jumpy. Right. And they just don't do it again. Right. You know? Right. But um, it was in 93 when I got good therapy. That's also uh, when I uh, moved to Philadelphia. I had a sponsor from day one. He was a guy that had volunteered with the Boeing Employee Assistance Program to be a sponsor to any Seattle guys who come in. You know, there's always people coming in and out from Seattle. So Harry E. was my sponsor in Philadelphia, and he was the guy that really, uh, really helped turn my life around. What did he, what was the thing that he, that he brought that, that was unique? Here's the, well, the one thing was he was there every day. Um, I talked to him every day. We went to probably five meetings a week together. You had to have that. You had to have that every single day, didn't Looking you? back, I did. Yeah, that, I really I mean, did. I mean, I want to yeah. stop there, Bob, and just say, okay. I mean, you're, Bob is a, you're a well-educated, very intelligent guy, but in that moment, you're you're so weak against this destructive thing in your life. Dumber than a bag of rocks. <laughs> well, I don't know about yeah, that, but in that we- way. you had a weakness so much that you had Christianity, mm-hmm. Christian love, godly love in your, your life at that point mm-hmm. had to be on an hourly basis practically isn't that right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and yeah. now it's not the case now yeah. so much you've gotten stronger mm-hmm. yeah and more confident of course i'm helping addicts every day 40 to 60 hours right. a week we'll so that reminds, that. Yeah. <laughs> that reminds me yeah that reminds you reminds me reminds me oh look at that gone, guy i don't want to do that right. right exactly okay uh so that was the turning that was the yeah. big turning point for you I, and i would say even the 
I, I can pinpoint it to a certain night. Now, Harry, um, Harry was Catholic, um, and, and I would say of all the Catholics I know, he's the most Christian Catholic I've probably ever met in my life. And it wasn't, he wasn't throwing the Bible at me or encouraging prayer. He was just with me every day, being the, the, the example of a Christian life for somebody who's in recovery. So he told me one day that, Bob, you are angry at God. You need to go yell and scream at him. And I said, no, I'm never going to do that. I, I don't want a lightning bolt to come out of heaven and, and burn me to a crisp uh, in the middle of my house. And what year was this again? This would have been uh, 1993. So this okay, was so the 12 summer. Years a- 12 years after your, 12 years after your yeah. conversion. Yeah. Right. And, and, I, uh, and I finished the last of my pot on Valentine's Day, 1993. Mm. So February 15th. 16th was, you know, the first day that I was stopped ingesting, yeah. you know, more pot. So this was in the fall. You know, my head's cleared a little bit since then. It takes months for your head to clear. Um, he says, you're, you're angry at God. This is what I want you to do. I want you to get in your car. I want you to take a drive and yell and scream at God. Don't, don't do it in your house. They'll call the police, you know. Yeah. Um, get in your car and drive and yell and scream at God. And, I'm and like, don't phony bologna no. it, right? I oh. mean, he meant, he meant let it. Let it be, fly. Be real, be vulnerable, be honest, right? Exactly, exactly. How'd be that, honest and let it all out. How'd that go? Well, so I decided that instead of getting on Interstate 95, where a lot of people would see me, I'd get on Highway 1. So Highway 1 goes from, you know, Maine to Florida. Mm-hmm. So, so I get on Highway 1, and it's just a few blocks from where my house happened to be in Aston, Pennsylvania. So I get on Highway 1, and um, I'm driving, and I'm... I'm telling God everything he's done wrong, and I'm yelling and screaming at him. And I'm, oh, coming up to Baltimore, I'm still yelling and screaming. And you, I guess you can drive through Baltimore and yell and scream in your car, nobody Nobody's notice. even going to notice. Past Baltimore, going down to D.C. I went through still D.C., going, still, still yelling. yelling and screaming. Somewhere between Washington, D.C. and Richmond, Virginia, um, I was done. I'd, I'd let it all out. I'd screamed, I'd yelled. Um, I cried, um, I swore uh, in non-Presbyterian language, and um, what happened was I could, you know, I was emotionally exhausted, now I realize spiritually exhausted, and what came to me was um, God saying, okay, good, you, you let that out, and it's okay, because you were yelling and screaming at me, you were yelling and screaming at the God that everybody else to- taught you was God. That wasn't me. Wow. So a big essential problem in your life up to that point was that you believed in the existence of God, but you had the wrong perspective of who God, who I, God is. I was a little deluded as to who God was. And we all, since we're human beings, we are locked in this human body with a human brain, and we can only do human things. And so um, my perspective was skewed, was clouded, was off. I really thought that I, I really had so much away and not very much towards that I, I, I wasn't very healthy and not going in a really good direction. I mean, I really believe it's all meant to be, every, you know, uh, that you're not just born again and then everything's perfect in your life. There's progress that we make all through our lives because we continue to be sinners and continue to have stuff we need to work on. And that process is uh, uh, theologically known as sanctification. Right. It is something that, that, Absolutely. that, that the Spirit works yeah. on us for a long, long period but, of time. But it was that fall, it was, it was at the end of that car ride that um, I realized there was a God that loved me. And 
and had a plan for me that was going to be good. Uh, the ver- what's the verse in Jeremiah? You know what I'm talking about. Know, yeah, Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the plans I have for you. Right. Plans not to harm you, right. but to give you hope in the future. I had to pull over and cry for a little while, and it took me. I think it was like two and a half, three hours drive. Now, it I'm, took a long time. And so I'm listening to this, and this is not the first time I've heard this story because Bob and I are, are great friends. Again, this is Megan's old office, and I'm talking to, to Bob Neve, who now has dedicated his life to helping people uh, come out of addiction. We're going to talk a little bit about that in a minute here, but we're talking about Bob's own story and going back uh, several years. What I'm getting, you know, I wasn't there for that, but I, what I'm getting from that is almost like when you when a physical body gets sick, it needs to it needs to vomit out. It needs to expel whatever is polluting and whatever yep. is infecting. Yep. It, it, on that ride, to me, Bob, it sounds like you needed to expel your spiritual infection from yeah. your body, from your mind, from your soul. Good way to put it. Is that a good way to put yeah. it? And then when that was done, you said you got yeah. all the way down to Virginia from Pennsylvania. You're yelling at God. You realize, and this is an amazing statement that you make, yeah. and I want our, I want to stop on this for a minute and just restate it. And mm-hmm. You get done yelling at God, and, and you realize through the Spirit or through the voice of God in whatever form it came to you that all of that anger, all of that hatred, all of that emotion that I think had been, I, I'm guessing had been in you for years, was mm-hmm. not towards God. God no. just says, hey, man, this wasn't at me. Right. It's at whatever you thought I was, right. not what I really am. Exactly. And I agree with you as a yeah. pastor in my own life. I'm going to say this about a lot of people, but also in me. I, most of my problems spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, and the struggles uh, that I have associated with God don't have to do with the one true God. It has to do with my image of who God is. Yep. And it's a sure. lesser, fallen, smaller mm-hmm. image of who God is. has to be because we're human. Well, it is. And I, one of the things I often say is, is that the good news, that's what, what, the go- that's what gospel mm-hmm. means. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news of Jesus Christ. And I often mm-hmm. say the problem with the good news is not that it's hard too hard to believe. The problem with the good news is is that it's too good to believe. And mm-hmm. I get the yeah. I get the impression that on that road, Highway One in the middle of Virginia, you got in touch with a God mm-hmm. that the the good news of which right. would have pre- previously was just too much for you to take in. And yeah. now you were taking it in. Yeah. Now you were receiving it. What would, what did that mean? So you get all that expelled out yeah. of your heart in that moment. And now. Yeah. There's a vacuum there. Is that right? And, and there was room for the right vacuum. God? I wouldn't say it was a vacuum. I, I would say that that um, my spirit felt ten thousand pounds lighter. Um, the image that I had of God now was a loving God who had a plan for me that was a good thing, and I, I never really allowed myself. Really, in my first twelve years of being a Christian, I never really allowed myself to. Um, meditate on heaven, to, to meditate on God's goodness. I was just too much afraid all the time that I was doing something wrong and that I needed to do something better. And it, at that time, I still had a works mentality. I still had a, sure. there is a bunch of stuff that I need to do. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't things we need to do as Christians. I'm saying there are things we need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but back then, I was doing it in my own strength, and now I'm doing it in God's strength. Uh, now I do the things that I do 
because God has has given me the the proper software code in my brain, the proper compulsion from my heart uh, to do it, and also the good and the bad. Also, I know if I don't read the Bible and pray and meditate, you know, almost every day. Um, that I'm going to turn into a pirate and not the fun, good ones, <laughs> right? It's going to be bad. Well, you and, was... and so I do this every day. I, I read my Bible and have my coffee. I do my prayer and meditation, usually in my hot tub, and I get some exercise um, as the basic start of every single day so that I can be where God wants me to be and be doing His will that day. I, may, I do my third-step prayer every single morning. You know, Lord, um, I... I, I make a decision to turn my will and my life over to your care. I don't want to do my will. I want to do your will. I don't want to live my life. I want to live the life you have planned for me. I and that's that every third, single day. That's the third I've step. I missed of, a few days in the last two years, but not very many. And that's the third step of the 12 steps. Yep. And yep. you do that every day. Every single day. And yeah. you seem to understand that you were saved by goodness and grace, not <sighs> you know, uh, and not by works. By not by Jesus having good. nothing to do with me. He picked me like uh, you go to the grocery store and you you pick a tomato. Actually, it's not even like that. When you go to the grocery store, you pick the good tomatoes. You don't pick <laughs> you don't pick me, right? You don't pick this rotten tomato on the side and go, "Ooh, I'm gonna I have yeah, a plan for this you one." You know, the thing about God is, is that he's he loves to show off how powerful he is, and so he does yeah. pick. Some, you know, I'm a lousy tomato too, and we're not going to get into that. <laughs> but uh, but what a great story yeah. that God can tell about what he did in your life and in mine. Um, Let me ask you something. You know, you were somebody who needed, who was angry at the wrong image of God, and I think that's a fantastic Mm -hmm. statement. I think that includes tons of people in our world today. They're angry at God. (laughs) God's like, what, who, me? You're not, you don't even Mm -hmm. know who I am. Mm -hmm. You think you're angry at me, but you don't even know who I am. Yeah. Do you think, in your opinion, uh, I know not every addict, not every person who suffers from addiction is the same. It's a wide range, a lot of different Truly. things. But Some things are the same, some things are different, sure. R- right. Um, but do you think there's a, a large percentage of people, or if you ballpark it for us, who, whose main problem, the main problem isn't the addiction. The main problem is deeper than that. In sure. your case, you were angry at the wrong image of God, sure. the wrong idea of God. Yeah. Uh, is that yeah. a common condition, or what are oh, the yeah. more, what are the more yeah, yeah, common yeah. conditions of the deeper things that 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 cause people to be addicted? Yeah. Uh, the psychologically, emotionally, genogram, you know, yeah. the family history kind of thing. I'll give you the simplified view, more s- simpler than the genogram thing. When we when we look at addiction, um, you know, everybody starts out drinking alcohol, smoking pot, coke, whatever it is. They start out because it's fun. Because they're at a party, they're having a good time, they're celebrating life, it makes them feel better. And if people don't go past that point, then maybe it's not a problem. If it doesn't create some kind of trouble in their life, maybe having a drink here and there you know, is, is fine. We know that, uh, that one or two drinks a day is healthy for everybody on the planet except me, because one or two turns into four, eight, 16, 32, 64. Right. You've heard that story. So... Um, the first stage is always we just do this to have fun. If it goes to the next stage where we're doing it to feel comfortable, to reduce some anxiety, to to kill some pain, then then there's a, a, a little bit deeper problem that maybe we should address in some other way. There there's ways that we can 
we can learn some emotional skills, some coping skills, so that we don't resort to the alcohol or drugs to kill our pain and make us feel more comfortable. And then the next stage is the worst stage where it's just normal to drink every day, to smoke pot every day, to do the drug every day. And then the fourth stage is the escape to oblivion where you're not in control at all. The alcohol, the drug is completely in control of whatever you're doing. So not that you're not responsible for that because you still are. So, so you know, it's, it's really a spectrum. Uh, does a person have a drug problem or not? It's really a spectrum. It's a matter of degrees. And, and I always ask the simple question, how much trouble does that really make for you, right? So, so for me, it really was. It was, it was killing some pain from, uh, from childhood, uh, from vague memories I've had, from uh, boredom. Uh, boredom is a huge thing. Uh, humans can't tolerate boredom for very long before we have to do something about it. And sometimes, um, many times, something very destructive. Right. Because and, the destructive is exciting, isn't right. it? Right. It gets, it gets that it, adrenaline rush. Exactly. Yeah. Boredom is gone when you're and, excited. And, and, you, know, uh, you know, I've had enough adrenaline rushes in my life. I'm, I'm, I'm totally the other way. There's this spectrum called the satiation arousal personality. The arousal person seeks to increase the excitement in their life. The satiation person seeks to decrease the excitement in their life. I'm an extreme one of those. I can meditate for hours. I can sit still. I can imagine myself this morning sitting in the hot tub. I was in Jamaica. I was not here. I was not here. Yeah, but you weren't always there. that way, though. I, I learned that in 1993 when I had some good uh, treatment at Virginia Mason Hospital in Seattle. Yeah. Learned I learned meditation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I learned how to, well, and, it, and it, it really was in, you know, it was in 93 when I started learning that, you know, life can be a joy. Uh, did you read my Facebook post this morning? No. It's the shortest post, post I ever made. I don't pay attention to anything you write ever. Oh, just, yes, you I, do. You like it all the no, time. No, I don't. I don't. No, I the, do. The I, just, second I don't shortest, read it. I hit the like button. The second, you could be talking about anything. The second know? shortest verse in the Bible, rejoice always. Right? So rejoice always. That was my scripture for the day. And That's my always. comment was always, exclamation mark. So it's the shortest post I ever did. Anyways, I, I, I really... The, one of the biggest changes of me now, pre-1993, was um, I really have decided I'm going to enjoy life. I'm going to have fun doing whatever I'm doing. Um, life is meant to be enjoyed. God wants us to be healthy and happy. Um, and it's that God that I focus on more than I ever, ever had before. So um, that's, that's really the big thing. And that's the towards you know, we need the away and the torts. I very naturally am worried about things and afraid of things, and, and that comes very naturally. I have to work to remember that there's good things, um, there's wonderful relationships to be had. My wife is absolutely perfect for me. I agree. Um, Sherry Neve is his wife, and hi, if you want to know whether or not God is real... <laughs> It, just the yep. fact that, that God brought Sherry into your life. Yep. That's testimony right it's there. It's my honey bunny. None of us can figure out why she's with you. But <laughs> I kid because I kid. You'll have to ask her. Yeah, I'll have to ask her. Um, today we're talking, this is Megan's Old Office, our podcast from Dundee Presbyterian Church here in Omaha, Nebraska. I'm talking with Bob Neve, the director of the Clearview Center. He's talking about his own struggles with addiction, and a guy who had uh, the, a real broken past when he even uh, was dealing drugs and arrested a few times and has had his life changed 
very completely by uh, his relationship with Jesus Christ. This set of podcasts here from Megan old, Megan's old office is called uh, Perspectives. And so we're getting Bob's perspective on how Christianity has affected his life. And in his case, obviously being an addict, being a former dealer, uh, he's had a rather dramatic uh, change in his life because of his relationship with, with Jesus Christ. Bob, earlier you were talking about the 12 steps, and you, you, you said mm-hmm. something really stood out to me. You were talking about how ultimately inside those 12 steps, the, those 12 steps are leading towards Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. They're leading... Yeah. You didn't say towards God. You said towards Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah. Um, now, I've had several friends that have been uh, addicts, being mm-hmm. a pastor. Every one of us in the ministry has a lot of interaction with, mm-hmm. uh, with people who struggle with addiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, I welcome that. I welcome their perspective, those who have, been, who have uh, recovered and gained perspective. Almost every one of them to a, a person says the same thing that you just said. Is that, I'm going to ask you a, a, a funny question, is it true? Is it, is it mm-hmm. true that, that Jesus Christ has to be, is an indispensable part of that equation? And if so, why is, why is that? What is, what is it yeah. that, that, that what, what ingredient yeah. does he bring yeah. to this? Now, now I, I think people can get clean and sober without knowing Jesus. I think people can go to AA, NA, uh, CMA, all the A's, and and work 12 steps and not find Jesus. Uh, But there's no question in my mind that it it leads directly to Jesus, because what I know about uh, the Bible, what I know from my own witness and the Holy Spirit that lives in me, um, I really know that the, the... the end of that road and the and the whole road is is Jesus's road. Now some people may not get there to find him. Um, like like there's good A meetings and there's bad A meetings. There's good churches and there's bad churches. There's some churches that God's not been to for a long time, and there's some churches where He's there all the time. So um, and let me say this about AA. When I moved here to Omaha in '97, I went to about a hundred meetings in about six months. And of those 100 meetings, I kept notes on where they were, what day of the week, what time they were, and that kind of stuff, and how good of a meeting it was. Eight out of 10, 80 of 100 of those meetings were horrible. Why? God was not there. Um, but why if, was if you God, go into a meeting... Bob, why was God not there? Because it was a meeting that has the form but not the power. The, the form of AA um, is there, but somehow along the way, the power had been lost. People had not gotten to that road where they found Jesus and walked on that road with Jesus in AA. Um, Now, with that said, 20 out of 100 were great. 20 out of 100, um, I I felt welcomed. There was long-term sobriety there. There were people sponsoring people. I felt welcomed from the beginning. And these were all over town. These were North Omaha. Christ-centered. They were definitely they were definitely Christ-centered. But you just yeah. described not only AA meetings uh, or NA meetings, but you also described churches. I mean, you sure. were right. There's yep. lots of churches where God has not uh, visited for a long, long period yeah. of time. Yeah. You know what? What? Why is this? Why? You know, with in in the context of of working with addicts, yeah. are those just places where if you'd have brought up Jesus Christ in that eighty percent? If you if you start talking about Jesus Christ, the, the people would have just shut down and shut you off. 
I, I think people in those meetings that did not go well, I think people um, forget that just practicing the 12 steps, just us doing our work is not enough. Um, it's not enough to find Christ. It's not enough for, um, uh, for, for long-term sobriety, for really, you know, again, my confidence isn't in me. My confidence is in God in staying clean and sober. Um, it's really, it, it's really that long-term thing that, that if I'm just practicing, uh, what I'm practicing, just the steps that I take, are, are not enough. We can't do this on our own power. We can't find Christ on our own power. We really do need God in our life and God's power and, and uh, God to come to us uh, every day, every day, every week, every month, um, all the time. We really do need, it, it's not just our works, it really truly is God's grace that comes to us that gives us the power to um, to live pure and holy lives. So the the the, uh, the picture that you're painting for me, if, if I may, is is that you're painting a picture of humanity that really wants to do things themselves, assumes that mm-hmm. they have to do everything themselves, mm-hmm. and gets depressed, gets lost mm-hmm. because they're confronted with the reality that they can't do, they can't live on their own. They mm-hmm. have to live in relationship with a with a higher power is that right. what is that the second step yeah. uh, it, 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 yeah. it makes clear they have to yeah. make peace and they just even though we can acknowledge it just like you did for 20 years of going to church early on and, and even after your conversion in 1981 a lot of that just bounced off because living inside of you and it's inside of me too mm-hmm. still to this day I've been a Christian for over 30 years and mm-hmm. Still, this destructive. It, it, it is a destructive assumption. What's that? We still have problems to solve. Well, yeah. there's this. There's this destructive assumption. I've got to do this. I've got to be mm-hmm. perfect. I've mm-hmm. got to achieve. I've got to show God that I'm mm-hmm. worthy. I've got to da 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 da. What fill in the blank? Mm-hmm. And we just refuse to see how incredibly destructive mm-hmm. that is. Well, and I would us. say all of that is good, except for I have to prove that I'm worthy. Because uh, there's nothing we can do to prove we're worthy, we we need to do all those things. We need to do all these things that we know are good things to do, and we cannot leave out the spirit of God has to direct us. His will has to direct us. Um, His grace has to change us and be an active part in life. If His Spirit isn't working in me, all the work that I do is meaningless. I I heard this saying a long time ago. It might have been my grandma neve who said this pray as if no work will help and work as if no prayer will help and i love that because we should work we're here to work we're here to till the ground and grow our tomatoes and our strawberries and and do the work that we're supposed to do but we're also here to accept god's grace and live in you know the sunshine of his love and and to to appreciate life and appreciate what he's given us and all the good things. Your mom sounds like a really good Methodist. It's a little bit of a modification of a John Wesley quote. Is, is it really? Quote. Yeah, I can't remember exactly how oh. it went, but I'll get it to, get it to okay. you. Yeah, but it's a good modification of yeah. that. So Grandma, now, yeah. here, here you are now. You're clean and sober for all these years. You you run the Clearview Center here in the Dundee neighborhood of uh, Omaha, Nebraska. I'm not so sure if I run it or if it runs me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. And you partner with your wonderful wife, 
sherry need. We've already established well. Hi, honey buddy. Uh, <laughs> we've established well that we have no idea why she's doing what she's doing <laughs> with you. But that we'll, we'll continue to go on. Um, now, when you're working with somebody, you, you're working mm-hmm. in you're working one on one with uh, people who suffer from addiction. You're mm-hmm. working in groups. Yep. That's what a big part of your ministry, I know, is, mm-hmm. is group therapy yep. for people, and it's almost entirely uh, addiction work. Not not all, but but a, a good groups are almost entirely addiction. No, work, but yeah. but your but your but your work is almost all with addiction uh, people with addiction issues. Isn't I'd that correct? say that uh, historically and right now, probably two thirds or three fourths of the people who come into our building and and get some treatment have some addiction issues. There's about a th- Third now, right now it's about a fourth, twenty percent, twenty five percent, that are just there for depression or anxiety and really don't have addiction issues. Now, if Jesus Christ relationship with Jesus Christ and uh, getting back to having a proper imago day, Latin for image of God, because mm-hmm. you you talked about having suffering for years without mm-hmm. knowing it. Uh, from having the wrong image of God. Now, mm-hmm. if you're sitting down with me in your role as a counselor. Uh, and I'm an addict, and I am someone who, uh, like many people who come before you, is angry at God, shut off mm-hmm. to God, hasn't had any relationship with God, doesn't even mm-hmm. know, perhaps has never even heard the words Jesus Christ in his life. Mm-hmm. And you sitting there with the task of, in, with the glorious mm-hmm. burden of trying to lead me towards healing, mm-hmm. you are going, you know that Jesus Christ is an essential element of mm-hmm. this, this person me as the example in this mm-hmm. case. I'm just sitting in. Uh, you know that that's the key element. I mean, where do you start with some with a rock like that, man? Well, that, that's. Uh, it, it, I know it's not always the same, mm-mm, but in that right. scenario, what are some things that come into your mind from your experience? It, it it almost always starts with pointing out some obvious things of the person, increasing their awareness um, with simple things like so. So, what's the problem? What what has been the problem? What's been the trouble? And people usually within a very short time realize their drugs, their alcohol, their depression, their anxiety has caused them problems in their relationships, at work, financially almost always, always spiritually. There's always some guilt that they're carrying around that we hope to, you know, they like unload what? on Jesus at some point like in time. What, like what kind of guilt? Where does that come from? Uh when just people from get using, just you, may, from, just you probably from know this. When people get drunk or high, they do really stupid things. <laughs> when people get drunk or high, they hurt other people right. and themselves yeah. on a regular basis. Yeah. More so, way more so than if they're not drunk. When I was drunk, I was a dangerous person. I I I, I pushed people away so I wouldn't hurt them. Right, and now I'm the least dangerous person on the face of the earth. Well, maybe not. I don't know. I'm, I'm in that category of not being dangerous. You're in the SpongeBob category. Yeah. Probably something like that. So, so, so back to you know that that patient that comes in, that client that comes in. Um, where do we start with somebody? We start with pointing out obvious things. Has alcohol caused a problem? Has drugs called, caused a problem? Financially, legally, um, uh, occupationally, in relationships, and those four almost always, yeah. Okay, so at least to that extent, the drug or the alcohol has caused a problem. Uh, do you want to repeat that problem? Do you want to repeat the last five years, or do you want a different five years in the future? Oh, yeah, I'd like to have a different one. Okay, so do you have any hope that that can handle? So I just did step one, right? I just convinced them their life's become unmanageable, and they're powerless to do anything about it. Do you have some hope that 
um, that there's some way out of this, that there's some help out there. A power, by the way, it doesn't even say higher power in step two. It says A power. It is capitalized P power. But So we ask them if they have any hope. Well, and we figure out where their hope is. And quite often they don't have much hope. And so we start saying, well, you can have hope in this. Our programs work really well. We're going to be with you forever if you need us. We hope to teach you how to not need us forever. But, uh, yeah, so that's, that's what we do. We, the second step's all about hope. Could there be a power that can restore you to sanity? And it's a, it's a big step between the hopelessness of the first step to the dedicating of your life to your higher power in the third step. That's what that second step is there for. And, and if we think about that, we, we do that when we share Christ with people. We, that's, that's our evangelical message is, are you a messed up, hopeless wretch? Yeah. Do you have any hope? No. Let me give you some hope. And here's the God that I worship. And maybe you can uh, uh, have the insight to worship the same God and ask him the things that I've done. So you're working him, you know, I hear you, you're working the 12 steps with them, uh, perhaps without them even recognizing that that's what you're Often. doing. In some, because yeah. they might be, am I right? They might be Sometimes, resistant yeah. to, if you come oh, with sure. a mantra of a hey, 12 steps, 12 steps, maybe sure. sometimes you have to get them to get on that trail oh. without them knowing. Yeah. But you're also doing that thing that, that you talked about earlier about, Okay, you know, working away from something and working toward something else, mm-hmm. and having that balance between having this person have both of those things rather At than just time. one of those things, yeah. right? And maybe they recognize this. Maybe you tell them that this is what we're doing, mm-hmm. but maybe you don't. Uh, you, it's important, mm-hmm. isn't it, for the person in that case? to do do this stuff themselves for you to ask oh, the yeah. questions and for them to. Uh, be honest, be vulnerable, yep. be open about their about the the brokenness, the depravity, for lack exactly. of a better word, of yep. their of their current condition, yep. in order to be able to to work towards that. And there, Isn't that right? Absolutely, and there's definitely work that the client does to get himself or herself to a point where he can accept God's grace. There's there's work that we have to do to get ourselves to a point where we're ready. And and I don't mean that to contradict the concept that that God really does choose us because he's leading us he's leading our clients along the whole way. And yeah, some of them some of them make it and some of them don't. That's that's just the nature of that's the nature of addiction. I I often say that I I play goalie for Jesus. I'm you know, there's there's these hockey pucks that get shot at me at 100 miles an hour and I catch a few and I throw a few of them black back into play and some of them I miss, mm-hmm. you know. Um, uh, so that's my job is to stop somebody from going a thousand miles an hour towards hell and grab them and say, Hey, maybe there's a different way you can go. Maybe, you know, maybe there is some hope, you know, if you're open to hope and, and open to the possibility that maybe there's a God that loves you, um, that's getting them turned around and going in the right direction. And then the path is theirs. I mean, then we'll, we'll give them as much guidance and encouragement as we can, uh, if anybody ever asks me, I say, yeah, I read the Bible every day because it helps feed me spiritually. This is what I do. Yeah, I pray and I meditate to the one God of all the universe every single day. You know, I, I acknowledge Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Father every single day because I know that is the thing that has um, that has propelled me to good things on earth. And, and you know, we 
with with God's grace will lead me to heaven. What uh, there are people though, Bob, that you have that you work with, and you have to just you you step away in, in mm-hmm. with the hope that they'll come back because they're, oh, it's yeah. just not going to work. They're they're mm-hmm. they're not in that place, and you have to to quit for a, yeah. a season, yeah. or maybe you need to send them to somebody else. I don't know, Sometimes, but yeah. but yeah. But the, tell me about. What's the element there? What's the common thread of those people? You know, they come to you and they're just not going to do this. They're not mm-hmm. going to go in the direction, uh, even if they can see the path rather clearly that mm-hmm. you paint for them. Uh, there are times where you have to quit. Yeah. Uh, and maybe you yeah. come back to it. I don't want to well, use the word quit as a permanent thing. I want to give you, because there yeah. are, have been people that, that you've had yep. to stop with that have come back, yep. And, yep. And, it, and then it's worked. But there, what, what is the what common thread for us? There, there's no doubt that there's certain things they have to do to keep going to therapy at the Clearview Center. And the first thing is they have to attend. They have to make <laughs> it to their session. We can't help them if they don't make it. Right. Uh, and, and those people who don't seem to be able to make it and pretty much, there was a time a few years ago, I, I did, the, did the math, 95% of the people who started a program at the Clearview Center finished it. And of those, the people who were unsuccessful, it was the ones who didn't make it very often or just didn't get there that, uh, that were not successful. And everybody else was successful to at least some extent, met their goals. And usually the goal we have for them is one year clean and sober, one year no more arrests or charges. Um, and that's kind of the standard kind of goal for the addict. Um, but there's certain things that they have to do, and the ones that don't show up or don't come back, um, the common thread is usually they're, they're really hurt or they're still using, so they're diluted and they don't see that this is good for them, which is very common. If you're, you may not know this. If you're on drugs or alcohol, you're not thinking clearly, <laughs> right? <laughs> so so it's... It's one. It's the worst of diseases because you don't know that you have it when you have it. You don't know until you've been clean for a few days that, oh, therapy might be the good thing for me because I'm destroying my life with this. Human stuff. beings suffer from denial without oh, yeah. the influence of drugs, and sure. you're saying that the influence of drugs and alcohol only enhances ten that times, hundred yeah, times worse, even right? worse. That's amazing. Right now, uh, we're here uh, at Megan's old office. My name is J.D. Gorlad. I'm the senior pastor here at Dundee Presbyterian. I've been talking with Bob Neve, my good friend, who runs uh, the the Clearview Center, helping uh, people suffering from addiction here in Omaha. Um, and Bob, you're a big part of the ministry here at at Dundee. Um, you and your wife are, 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 are a part of the leadership here. You are still a, a, an addict. You're a recovering mm-hmm. addict. Yep. Uh, once an addict, you're always an addict. You recognize that uh, that difficulty, that challenge in your mm-hmm. life. Church is an indis. I know that church is an indispensable mm-hmm. part of your life. Um, for you, in the context of being struggling with addiction. What does how does church positively affect that for you? Um, now you're talking to your senior me, uh, pastor, so you'd better have a uh, really yeah, good you know answer I'm here. You, 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 really, you, you know, you know I'm going to tell you the truth. You know I'm going to tell you the truth. If you don't come like with a good answer here, I'm going to really be. Oh, upset. you can edit it. Yeah, all right. <laughs> We're going to we might chop this out. Um, so, so church for me really is support. Um, it's really the positive, um, you know, I, I, I'm constantly amazed when I'm, you know, and I, I really get this around Easter and Christmas. I'm constantly amazed at the number of people who actually believe Jesus 
like me. You know, I, I when I'm when I'm in the Clearview Center, there's a there's a few of us, and we're struggling to get people, you know, anywhere near believing in God or His power to help them in their lives. And I come here and I worship with a hundred to three hundred people, and it's like, oh, thank God I'm not alone in this. And there's there's hundreds of people here today on Sunday that uh, uh, that believe. In Jesus, the same way I do. It does feel very lonely when we're when we're trying to help people out of out of addiction into sobriety. It it often feels very lonely. But for me, when I come here, it's you know I see Alma every day. She sits right you know to the right Alma of me Stafferson, there. Yeah. Alma, we got to give her a hug. Um, uh, the background story is there. She knew my mother actually. My mother Evelyn Neve. Uh, they lived at the same uh, uh, retirement center for a long time. So Alma had been praying for me without knowing it, obviously. And uh, we just walked in one day and met Alma and just felt the love that was here. And we knew when we got here that it, the love from the people that Sherry and I discovered here, uh, along with um, uh, Dr. Jeffrey, uh, R- Reverend... Um, um, Jeffrey Brown. Jeffrey Brown. Yeah, my predecessor. Um, his first sermon that we heard, it was on a Valentine's Day too, was genuine repentance. I like I never heard a sermon on genuine repentance in a Presbyterian church in my life, and it was awesome. And he was an intelligent guy, and we really loved him. Um, it was the love that was here that uh, that really got us here. There's the uh, yeah. this is an obviously an important element for people who suffer from addiction. Uh, yep. But also others who don't. Yeah. You talked about boredom and and loneliness being key negative factors, and mm-hmm. people people struggle with addiction. Yeah. So you said a little bit about what Dundee's done for you there, but I mean churches have a role to play in the healing process. For mm-hmm. it's not just sure. AA. I mean, there's you said the best AA meetings are where God's present, mm-hmm. and maybe that's twenty percent, or maybe that's whatever. Mm-hmm. And the worst ones are where God's really just not present at yeah. all, hasn't been there for a long time. Same thing could be said of, yeah. of churches. But, but people who suffer from addiction, my hope is, and I think there's a need there, yeah. to, to not just find God and be, get in touch mm-hmm. with God and sense God and hear God when you're mm-hmm. at AA meetings, but mm-hmm. to, be in, to be able to do that on a Sunday morning in a community uh, that that is, does all the things yeah. that you just described. Lots of and lots Wednesday of, night Bible study and Saturday night Mariners and all those things that connect us to other people in a good, loving, healthy way. Do people not recognize that need? I mean, no. in general, yeah. not just not yeah. just addicts, but more and but more they, they don't. They, we just don't recognize the yeah. need to be in yeah. in fellow the, the yeah. blessedness of fellowship wouldn't you agree we see the loneliest people on the face of the earth coming into treatment and you know the number probably the number one key is for this lonely person to get connected with somebody who's clean and sober who's got a good spiritual life who's moving in the right direction and people forget about that because they're home alone with their electronics and their Facebook page, and and that's not the connection that people need. People need eye contact, body language. They need a hug. They need to to feel that love in their gut when they walk into a room full of Christian people, whether it's Sunday morning or Wednesday night or Saturday night or whenever that is. They need to walk into a room full of people and 
see the smiles and the eyes that smile and get a hug, that's an essential element for somebody staying clean and sober, let alone getting clean and sober. Yeah, Absolutely. To quote the Cheers song, even though it was set in a bar, you want to go where everybody knows your name. Yeah. Um, I'm really interested also, uh, Bob, uh, by the fact that, and I hope that this podcast helps with this to a certain extent for people out there, and, and that is that we've talked a lot about people struggling with addiction. We've talked about you, your own struggle, your own victory in that regard. We've talked about your work with with people struggling with addiction. But one of the things that really is heartening to me and encouraging to me, and I hope for people who are listening, is, is that when we talk about people who have drug and alcohol problems, that's not it. There's deeper things. Deeper, right. That's just right. a manifestation, a negative expression yeah. of some uh, of some brokenness. The it's drugs within... are the attempt to cover up, to fill that, the attempt to fill that hole with, with something fake. It, there, it's an attempt to fill an emptiness or to kill a pain, if we and it's ju- fake. If we could just recognize that with yeah. people. Yeah, because the love of God's real. Right, and if we could yeah. recognize this with people that... that, that um, uh, and and I think there's a deficiency in in recognizing the difficulties mm-hmm. that people have with mental health, and that's a whole other mm-hmm. can of, of words that that needs to be discussed. But if we could just have that compassionate, grace-filled mm-hmm. view of here's someone who is is long struggled with addiction, and, and they're an alcoholic, and they're a drug addict, um, but can we recognize that there's something underneath that? That uh, a caldera, mm-hmm. if you will, the beginning mm-hmm. of a, vol- a massive volcano that's under there, that's, that they're just pouring this stuff on top of. Yep. And you're working all the time to try to get down to what that thing is, because mm-hmm. if you can get to that thing, mm-hmm. and you can get them to recognize what that thing is, and get to recognize, and get them to vomit that out of their soul, yep. like you did on that road yep. going through Virginia, man, something good so, can happen. So something God beautiful. can come in. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Even in that, even in that place. Yeah. I'm going to get you out of here on this one. We're almost done here with this uh, episode of uh, Perspectives, our new podcast here uh, in Megan's old office. I'm going to get you out of here with this, Bob Mead. What, do you, what excites you about your future with Jesus? You've had a great ride with Jesus over the last 20, 30-plus yeah. years. Yeah. What excites you about, about the next several years, uh, your life with Jesus? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I ask you that, what comes I'm, to mind? I'm so glad you asked that question, because you sent me this question beforehand, <laughs> and, I read, that, question, and uh, I read that question. Yeah, that's question number 10. And I said, <laughs> I need to explain to, to JD the difference between the arousal and the satiation personality. Dude, I've had enough excitement in my life. Right. I really want serenity and tranquility and and I know I'm only going to find that in Jesus. That's the only place you're going to find eternal, uh, eternal tranquility and serenity is in Jesus. So I'm, I'm kind of looking for less excitement and more tranquility, but I go. know what you mean. Yeah. The intent is, what am I really looking forward to? Um, what I really look forward to, I'm going to cry when I say this too. Uh, it's so amazing to me that, I, that there'll be some day when I pass on the Clearview Center to a bunch of Christians who are carrying the message of Jesus on to other people. Because that's, that's where it's going to go. Ultimately, I'm going to die someday. Don't know when it's going to be. Hopefully, it'll be a long time from now. But we know we, we're going to have to pass this on to somebody else. Um, one of the biggest things that happened is we've had an AA meeting at the Clearview Center at 745 on Mondays uh, for many, many years. This year, we had a group conscious meeting, which is the group gets together and decides if they want to change things, and they change things a lot. 
Now, the people that we did the group conscience with for the A meeting seven, eight years ago, they didn't want to do the Lord's Prayer. Um, <laughs> they're doing the Lord's Prayer. Um, I could hardly say the Lord's Prayer when I'm there at the, at the NA meeting on 745 because it so encourages me that they're doing the Lord's Prayer. And it was just one of the women that happened to be there in the group conscience that says, how come we don't do the Lord's Prayer? We need to do the Lord's Prayer. And everybody agreed. It, and it wasn't me driving it. It was, you know, it was other people saying, we need to add this to it. They needed to grow into that. Didn't yeah, they, they did. And you couldn't and really control that. No, it's a group conscience. I'm, I'm not there. I'm, I'm not Jesus. I, I, I don't drive this whole thing. I'm one little dude out of seven and a half billion people on this planet. And um, it came at the right time. That's what excites me. What excites me is we're leaving a legacy and we're passing this stuff on to people. <laughs> we're going to share Jesus with people. And heal people's lives, yep. just like you have, just like you and your your wife, uh, yep. Sherry and Eve, uh, have done for many years, and you will continue to do. Yep. Uh, I've really enjoyed this time with you, and I uh, hope everybody listening has too. The message of this day is God's incredible ability to save and redeem and redirect people's lives. I'm sitting with a guy, Bob Neve here. He doesn't just run the Clearview Center. And you, yeah, we got Kleenex here for you, buddy. You know, that's you. You, you ended with a tear in your eye. Yeah, we, we must have had a good show. We always have extra Kleenex. There you Kleenex. go. So do we. Um, but we're sitting with a guy here who who um, runs the Clearview Center, helps people to heal from addiction, but who's a testimony to the effect, the the powerful effect, uh, the sanctifying effect of Jesus Christ. Uh, in your life, and it, hopefully it stands as an example to everybody who's listening that, man, uh, new life can happen anytime. Out of any piece of ground that is a human life, yep. uh, it can happen. You're a great example, shining example of that, and I thank you for your vulnerability, for your honesty today. Uh, this has been Megan's old office live. Well, well, we're live right now, but coming to you uh, on uh, on recording from, um, from Dundee Presbyterian Church here in Omaha, Nebraska. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Megan's Old Office. Brought to you by Dundee Presbyterian Church. Please like, subscribe, and share so you and your friends can keep up with us every time we post. You can learn more about us and our church at dpcomaha.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash DPC Omaha or on Instagram at Megan's Old Office. You can contact us through email at Megan's Old Office at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening today. We truly appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.